Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. I'm joined today by uh, a special guest uh, to talk about the worst thing in the world, Penn State basketball. It's uh, my pal Sam Cooper from Yahoo Sports. Coop, what's going on? Hello, Bill. How are you, buddy? Uh, you know, Sam, I've been better. Uh, we are obviously doing this one day after it was announced that Penn State basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury uh, was going to leave the university, take the head coaching job at Notre Dame, replacing Mike Bray, who was there for about a billion years. Um, it It's something, Coop, that in retrospect, it seems like the writing has been on the wall for months. It, in retrospect, it seems like the writing has been on the wall for months, and we'll dive into that. But it really felt, you know, we were talking a little bit. It just seemed like this started to trend towards an inevitability in the few days before it actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, anytime you have a reporter asking the question at a big 10 media or a big 10, uh, big 10 tournament, and then it's coming up again at the NCAA tournament and he's not given the, the answer. Everyone hopes you kind of in the back of your mind, you kind of know it might be trending in this direction. That's pretty much what happened. Yeah, and Shrewsbury was uh, mentioned as a candidate for the Georgetown job uh, at length. Ultimately, that ended up going to Ed Cooley. And then not long after, it sounded like Notre Dame had just made it a point to hire him. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that goes into that, and we'll dive into that. We'll uh, recklessly speculate on a number of things. But before we do that, Coop, two years of Michael Shrewsbury at Penn State this year ended with him uh, getting the team to a 23 and 14 record 10 and 10 in conference play. And now he's gone. What are just, uh, what are just your general thoughts on, uh, Michael leaving after two years to take a job back in his home state? Just the, the, it's a little jarring, not in the sense that he left. It's jarring just that like they were playing Texas, what, five, six days ago. Yeah. So it all just kind of like, it all just, that's, I mean, that's the way, that's the way these things happen generally, but it just unfolded very quickly. And I don't know, it's, there's just like, it's simple in a lot of ways, but then there's a lot of layers to kind of peel back of, you know, why this happened, why it makes sense that it happened, why it maybe didn't have to happen. So, I mean, in a general sense, I mean, the guy's obviously a really, really good coach. And like, as soon as Notre Dame opened, I mean, anybody that was paying attention had to be like, okay, that's a spot that, you know, he makes a ton of sense there. Even at a point where, you know, people go back and say, oh, like they were five and nine in the Big Ten. I mean, I would be shocked if he wasn't, if like this, this isn't, this doesn't just happen because Penn State went on yeah. a run. This guy has a reputation. And I mean, I even think back to last year, like you think of the, the, the team they trotted out there last year and how competitive they were. Like they had, I mean, they had five, like, suitable Big Ten players, and they were far more competitive than they, you know, they had any business being. They went two games in the Big Ten tournament. Like, wh what did they end up going? They won seven or eight games in conference during the season? Like, <laughs> with that roster, because this guy had, like, he knows, he takes a look at what he has on his roster, and he constructs his strategy accordingly, which is what, exactly what you saw this year. So, I mean, they had an unbelievable coach and they, they let him, they let him slip away. This like, in a certain respect, it, it was inevitable. Like, I mean, we've talked privately about this, but I kind of thought maybe Louisville next year, if it's another bad season with Kenny Payne, he'll go. But I mean, I mean we, we can get into this, why I was a little surprised it was Notre Dame, but I guess, I don't know if that was me being, like wishful thinking or what, but like, I don't know. I was a little bit surprised it was Notre Dame. I thought Georgetown was the bigger threat, but you know, in retrospect, now that it's, you know, you kind of, once this, this is unhappening and this is happening or unfolding in real time, you kind of, you kind of start peeling back the layers and you go, okay, yeah, this does make maybe more sense than I was giving it credit for. But at the same time, a lot of the issues that exist with Penn state, they also exist at Notre Dame, you know, it's a football yeah. school. We can get into all that, but I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of, it's simple in a lot of ways, but it's also, there's a lot of layers to why this is the way it is. Yeah. I, I think there is something markedly different to Micah leaving for North Carolina, Micah leaving for 
Louisville, Indiana, Purdue, so, like a school that we know and has a reputation of, you know, football's the moneymaker at 99% of schools, but the schools that view their basketball program as important, if not like a quarter of a step down from their basketball uh, football program. The fact that it's Notre Dame and after two years, it's a Notre Dame team that, like you mentioned, Coop, has a lot of the kind of institutional issues uh, and institutional approaches towards football that Penn State has, uh, I mean, towards basketball that Penn State has. It's recent year. Mike Bray has been the coach there since 2001. Yeah, 23 seasons. Yes, and he announced in January that he was going to step down. They, they forced uh, him. They forced him out. Quote, un, quote unquote, announced in January he was going to step down. But yeah, and it's walking into a school that has, you know, the big picture issues. Yes, but in terms of the age on their roster, Penn State was the oldest roster in college basketball this year. Notre Dame was the third oldest roster in college basketball this year, and the most prominent guy who could be a holdover that you could build around former five-star recruit J.J. Starling is now going to Syracuse. So I think the it's that. It's the fact that he's going to a school like that that has us a little bit of shock and awe. I agreed with you on the Georgetown point. Uh, our pal Eric Gibson, who uh, has been put in a padded room uh, due to the events in the last day, kept – when we were talking about this over the recent days, pointed to an interview that Shaka Smart gave after he went from Texas to Marquette, where he said there's just something about being at a school that is 100% basketball that made me think Georgetown might have been, you know, if you're losing him to a place like Georgetown, I can at least get it from that perspective. But I want to dive in a little bit to something you said, which is that when you kind of surveyed this and you kind of took that step back and you come from this from a different perspective of someone who went to Penn state, but covers college football, understands that world, understands the world of college athletics really well. You thought it was unlikely beyond the fact that they're a school in Indiana. And even that has a bit of an asterisk on it compared to uh, where Micah is, where his roots are in Indiana around uh, more the Indianapolis area. What was it about Notre Dame or what was it about Notre Dame that made you think, well, let me take this step back. When Georgetown came off the board, were you going, all right, done, he's staying, don't have to worry about anything? Or did you think that it was going to take some uh, mental gymnastics to justify him going to Notre Dame? I don't think it's really either of those. Like I, well, I did, like I said, I thought Georgetown was a, like, like Georgetown to me would have been a, almost a no-brainer. Like, I know people will think that's kind of crazy with how bad they've been, but just like how gung ho that, I mean, basketball means so much at that place. Like, yeah. And like, like they play FCS football. So that that's, you know, the priority is basketball. They're so desperate to win. They're in the DMV. There's all these things. And on another level is, you know, a black coach going to Georgetown where John Thompson built that thing up. He was the example for black coaches, which is what you heard Ed Cooley talking about. Yeah. If you caught any of his opening press conference, I think that was yesterday. He, he mentioned all that stuff. So when you kind of added all that up and just the ability to get players and the support, because a lot of the things like you hear about, I mean, it's not even you hear it behind the scenes. You, Micah Shrewsbury talked about this. Yeah, like He did that, that podcast interview with, with uh, Blue White Illustrated. And I think it was December. He he laid it out. He's just like we're we're in last in NIL. Like, this is a problem. If if you'll give me a second, I have uh, I have the quotes up right here. Uh, first one on NIL: We got guys, but we also lost guys. We're not going to be like Illinois. Illinois is one of the best in the league right now with what they're doing with NIL. But we have to do something. That's something where we can't fall behind. It's about what you want as a program and what you're happy with. If we have a little bit more than we're offering to our guys or that we're doing for our team in NIL, that class is top the top 30 class, probably top 15 in the country. It's just one or two more guys. And then he went on to say, I can't speak for everybody, but I would say of 14 teams in the Big Ten, we're probably 14, maybe 13. This is in reference to NIL. So it's just about 
who we want to be as a program. What are we willing to say is going to be our standard? Because I can be as good of a coach in the world, but if you don't have as good of players, it doesn't matter. Or if you could do a great job with your development, you find a kid, you develop him, and then somebody comes in and they have something for him. That's kids, that's life right now, and that's what's happening. And I went back and read that after he left, and boy, did I feel like an idiot for not seeing him leaving sooner. Yeah, I mean, he he laid it out for you. He told he told you. He he said it. He sounded the alarms, and I mean, from what's been reported, what's been talked about, nobody at the school really gave a shit. They didn't really like yeah. they. I mean, or they didn't take it seriously. Maybe like it's I don't know. It's kind of like we don't know the the specifics of. I mean, if he said there were fourteen out of fourteen, that's in that's in dire straits for. Especially for a place like Penn State, like yeah, if if they are if they're tenth out of fourteen at a place like Penn State, that's a problem. But even if you're tenth out of fourteen, you have something. Yes, <laughs> like you're better than four other four other places, and there's room to grow. Like there's some sort of like, okay, we can we can do this, but we need to do more. They didn't even like until like recent until they went on this run, there was no semblance of like. I mean, they were like. I don't know. I don't know how public this all got, but there were literally message board, you know, campaigns to to raise like tens of thousands of dollars because nothing else was happening. And like, like that's that's like for not only for recruiting for player retention, which is what he. I mean, he said it without saying it. He's like, you know, like a guy like I guess you know Kevin Jai or Evan Mahaffey, for example. Like these guys showed flashes in their freshman year. If they weren't behind a bunch of seniors and they had a little bit of a more playing time and would have flashed even more. And they, they were getting nothing at their, at the school they were at, you know, even if they're not in the transfer portal, there's ways for these, you know, for other programs to make it known, like, Hey, we can offer you this to go in the transfer portal and consider our school. So that's what he's talking about. So, but to go back to Notre Dame, this is the part that kind of confused me a little bit. Notre Dame is dealing with a lot of the same stuff that Penn State's dealing with from an, from an NIL perspective. Yeah. Where, like, there's a lot of – I don't know how to delicately phrase this. There, like, there is, there is, a, there is a belief – there's a belief that you – NIL is, at the end of the day, a form of legalized cheating. And, it'll, and I don't say that as a negative. Like, it's, it, like, I'm glad kids are getting paid. It's a form of legalized cheating and schools like Penn State and Notre Dame believe there is a right way to do that, that is doing it in a way that is honorable, in a way that is yeah, there's uh, like a, worthy a holier, of print. Yeah. A holier than thou kind of, you know, stuffy old school success with honor mindset. And that's just not reality anymore if you want to get players and you want to win, which, I mean, like the the athletic director, I mean – when he showed up, he like you had to prioritize NIL and some like I know with football, they had their own issues. They've worked yeah. through them. I'm sure James Franklin, it's still nowhere near what he wants or what, you know, when he's, he's looking over his shoulder at, I don't know, like SEC schools. He's like, holy shit, this is what they're doing. This is what we're doing. Like we can't we can't compete with these guys. And with basketball, if you're if you're on the ground floor. And like with Illinois, like like he mentioned, like we all know who he was talking about. If we follow, if you follow college basketball recruiting, yeah, Amani Hansberry, who's like a top fifty kid from the DMV. Penn State was in on him early. One of his, I believe, like might have been Virginia Tech and like another, like one of his early power school offers, and they recruited him. Like they, he was one of their top targets almost from the moment they like very early on. And when you like. Like, not that this is always gospel, but when you get the the twenty four seven crystal ball for Hansberry to Penn State, that's for a reason. It's because he very much favors that that school, and it's close to being a commitment. And obviously, like I mean, Shrewsbury said it. Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't bridge the gap on the and the on the in the NIL department. That's hard to say. They couldn't, they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't you know seal the deal. They couldn't they couldn't get this kid because you know they couldn't offer him probably much of anything and illinois could and you know when i I don't want to generalize on someone's background or whatever but you know even like 
when I was in coming up through high school, I could have used some money. My mom could have used some money. If I'm in a position where I can go to this school and play basketball and I'm going to be able to make money for myself and also help my family. Hell yeah. That's going to be a huge part yeah. of the equation. And then when I get there, I'm also be able to continue getting paid. Hell yeah. I'm going to consider that over like as much as I love this coaching staff and I, you know, I love, I love, I love this offense he runs. If I'm getting, you know, this much per semester or whatever, you know, shit, I'll, I'll, I'll make some concessions yeah. and go play at a place where I maybe don't fit quite as well in how they play, you know, like it's all, it's all, <laughs> it, it's all connected. And like, I think it's very important to mention, you mentioned Franklin Coop. There are three, four times a month, it seems, where James Franklin is banging on the table saying, we need better NIL support. We need better support for our program. He had that quote last year where he said, if Ohio State, if Ryan Day said, he, you know, Ryan Day gave some uh, some talk among with some stuffy Ohio State boosters that got made public where he said, like, we need $12 million for our entire roster or whatever it was or for recruiting or whatever it was. And Franklin said, well, if that's what Ohio State, the best program in our conference is doing, we need 12 million and one at least to catch up to them. And if James Franklin, who has a bit more pull than Micah Shrewsbury, with all due respect to Micah, is saying Penn State's NIL isn't good enough. And you could wave this away as like, of course, a coach is going to complain about this. A coach, of course, a coach is always going to want more. A coach wants to win at the end of the day. And if James Franklin thinks that his ability to win is compromised because Penn State isn't giving him enough support, what the hell do you think Micah Shrewsbury is plaqued with? Like, the stuff that gets funneled into Penn State athletics is getting funneled into football. And, you know, that's a broad generalization, but, like, football is the moneymaker. Football is the big thing. And guess what number two is? Get number Wrestling. It's not wrestling. It's not hockey. It's men's basketball. It is the only other sport – that makes money. Well, that's so, and and that's the thing, Coop. There's a difference between makes money and gets support, right? right. And wrestling uh, got a be- has beautiful facilities. Uh, they paid as much as they could to get the best coach in the country. They have the best program in the country. They have the best wrestlers in the country. They have the best this, this, this. Hockey has a stadium that. I bring people – I have brought people who aren't Penn State fans to Pagula. I have brought people who are Buffalo sports fans and hate Terry Pagula with their lives to Pagula. And they go, okay, this place is really incredible. They have an unbelievable facility. They have things they need. Basketball still plays in a cave and has a coach who was talking – had a coach who was talking about how the support isn't there. And that's not just financial coup. When he left, I thought about something that uh, he said in the lead-up to Penn State's Big Ten opener against Michigan State. The team was 6-2 and two on the season, coming off of a double overtime loss to Clemson. Uh, this is from Seth Engel in the Daily Collegian, published December 5th of 2022. I am pleading, by tomorrow I'll be begging, that we need some help. Everybody that's able and able-bodied, come to this game. We need your help. That's all I'm asking. For us to do what we want to do for us to get where we want to get. It can't just be us. It can't just be the families. It can't just be the few that always show up. Uh, I've obviously been at Purdue. I understand that Rutgers just rolls everybody at home. The environment helps them every single time you keep reading through Shrewsbury's quote. If I had a bunch of assholes on my team that don't come watch us, I wouldn't enjoy them either, but that's not what we have. He had that quote about how, I'll take my guys over to state high and play if it means it helps us. Like it, it really feels like, and you could say this is wrong if you want, you could disagree with me. It really feels like this is an opportunity or the reason that this happened is because of stuff that we have always known about the Penn state basketball program issues that have always existed for the Penn state basketball program. And I don't know if you mentioned this on here, but I know this is a phrase you use. They got a lottery ticket in Micah Shrewsbury. It hit, and now all of a sudden they are left without it because they weren't able to do anything with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that might have been Tim of the the great Tim of uh, PennStateHoops.com lore, who, uh, who who used the uh, the lottery ticket phrase. I don't know. You you were kind of all over the place there. Like, where do you yeah. where are you, where, 
Well, so my, my point is that Micah came in with an outsider's perspective. Oh, right. right. I got you. And and saw everything that was wrong with this school and was vocal about everything that is wrong with how this school does basketball and Penn state's efforts to remedy them. Obviously were not going to be solved in three months, but Penn state could have done a better job trying to remedy in those three months and shown him that it's worth sticking around. And they just were not able to do that. I think he knew they had a good team too. Like he, yeah. he obviously he knew they had a good team and he's just like, man, like I think part of it going back to Indiana, like he, I mean, he said it in the, the Dave Jones piece, this is like, he grew up going to, he going to high school games and it's sold out. And I don't think this is true for the entire state of Pennsylvania. Obviously I'm from, I'm from the Eastern part of the state. I've lived in Philadelphia for a decade, but yeah. like, I mean, in central Pennsylvania, it's, Basketball isn't as revered as other sports are. I, I, it, and it, college. I, I, I was just going to say, I went to high school. I, my final two years of high school were spent at a very, very good high school basketball program for central Pennsylvania. Obviously, once they go on to play Newman Goretti, once they go on to play Archbishop Wood, they get run out of the gym. But it was a good program for central Pennsylvania. The games were nicely attended. The big playoff games were really well attended. But the thing that Micah is talking about is in central Pennsylvania. Um, I never had to worry about getting a seat when I went to go watch my friends play in high school. Right. And just like the it's – a, it's a tough sell. I mean, this has been – it's – it's it's true though. It yeah. it's a tough sell to when a lot of the people who come in for Penn State football games, obviously they're traveling hours. Even the people in Center County or the surrounding county, Blair County, whatever. Like it's a kind of a tough sell when you're so used to this basketball team being subpar to be like, all right, on, it, this is like a Tuesday night, you know, eight thirty game on Big Ten Network. Am I going to drive, you know, two hours round trip, get home at midnight, whatever. Like I understand. So I think at that point in the season, like you referenced that quote, he was being like, like, we had a good team here, man. Like we can do something. So I think that's, that's where some of like the exasperation came from. And at the same time, like this, like the school, like the, the administration, they had to know they had a, a great yes. coach on their hands, but like, and they had to know that like, this guy's going to be coveted, even if like they go, even if Penn State went to the NIT or they were on the bubble and didn't make the tournament, went to the NIT. I still believe he would have been the one of or the top candidate at Notre Dame. I, yeah, I, the, I wholeheartedly believe that. The, so the people who make the people who make these decisions are not dumb. They could spot a good basketball coach if his even if his team is very bad. Right, like, like. I wholeheartedly believe that he would have been a candidate at Notre Dame, if not like one of the favorites, like he ended up being. And by the way, like, I know I said this earlier, but to reiterate, like if there's some, like I've seen it on Twitter. I don't know if it's like a widespread sentiment, but he didn't just, yeah, like he didn't just become like this. Oh, he, they went on a run through like through the big 10 tournament. All of a sudden he's like a hot commodity. Like this guy is well regarded in, basketball circles on a lot of levels like yeah matt like matt, this, matt paint matt painter might be the most other than uh Izzo, might be the most respected coach in the big 10 brad stevens is one of the most respected basketball minds in the nba and in college basketball for everything that he's done like if those two guys are giving a stamp of approval to him you know North Carolina isn't hiring him sight unseen. UCLA isn't hiring. Like they'd want him to have head coaching experience, but everyone other than the bluest of the blue bloods would want to hire this guy based on, based on just that, let alone the fact that he was the person, he was the person behind a, what, what maybe should have been a nine or a 10 win roster winning 14 games last year. And, uh, 12, nah, not 12, a 15, 16 win roster winning 23 this year. I mean, think like, and it goes even beyond like the X's and O's and the on-court stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like he got John Hara and Seth Lunny to come back. Like think of like the, like not to go down this trip down memory lane, but like, like it was in, 
absolute dire straits after that, you know, the, the chambers getting fired for, we still don't know what happened. What's in that report, by the way, which is crazy. All these years. Should, can, can someone FOIA that? Can I submit a freedom of information act request to get that? Do you think? I mean, you could try it. It probably, I don't think the the effort would go too far, but yeah. That whole shit show of a season happens. And then obviously immediately all those dudes go in the portal. He gets, you know, to their credit, like Miles Dredd, Sam Sessoms, you know, even Dalian Johnson, like some of those dudes stayed. He got Pickett out of the portal yeah. and he got Hera and Lundy to stay. And like, like they had, they had like, I don't need like no disrespect to Dalian Johnson. He, he had a few good games. Like they had like four guys. Greg, yeah. Greg Lee was hurt all the time. Even he wasn't even that good. Like, they had like four guys who would yeah. be on most Big Ten rosters, and they were competitive almost every game. Yeah. And then you roll that over to the next season, and he had like I firmly believe like I know people go oh he wants to play small ball he wants to chuck a bunch of threes no he did that because he saw what Jalen Pickett was capable of like the like you can kind of you go back and like he's, he's mentioned it a few times, like later in the big 10 season, like it might've been like early February and then into the big 10 tournament, they started putting him in the post more and let him kind of dish out of the post. They had no one that could hit threes other than Lundy and dread, but like you kind of saw, like it looked like a little bit of a light bulb moment in, in the big 10 tournament. Like this dude started, he started killing dudes in the, in the big 10 tournament. So then you get to the off season and like as much as people be like, Oh, they, they, they tried to get a big man. Like they wanted to, obviously they didn't like, they didn't want an 18 year old Kevin to have to start in this league. Like they, I mean, he, I think they thought he would be maybe a little better early in the year. Like you saw late in the year, like the kid can play. He's got some, he's got some talent, but like over the course of the season, he had the, like they constructed this roster to fit around Jalen Pickett. And like <laughs> they played, they, you know, I don't know, like, I'm sure you could pull this up, but I mean, what percentage of their minutes did they not have a guy over six foot five on the court? <laughs> a lot, and they a won. lot, yeah. They bust like they, yeah. And it, if the culmination actually, of the do you do you know they, what do you actually know what might inflate that? The fact that Seth Lundy is six foot six. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean, but like that's it's a very funny like cut off point, and there's one reason why like this was a tiny little basketball team. And my point is this guy can adapt to his personnel. Yeah. So like coming into this off season, if he wasn't going to leave, people were like, you know, like all these guys are leaving, like it's going to be these young dudes. And like, they were going to find dudes in the portal and they were going to be competitive again. I, I can guarantee that. Yes. And the thing that to circle back to the Notre Dame part of it is Notre Dame is not as lenient with transfers. Like they do it with football because it's football. But on the whole, like, they are not as forgiving with transfers, mm-hmm. especially if you're not a graduate transfer, which is kind of part of why I, I think, you know, when I saw it was a seven-year deal, you know, another little bit of a light bulb going off. Like, he knew, like, he would start – Another this is another reason why I didn't think he, he would go to Notre Dame, you know, as of, like, a week, a week and a half ago. Because, like <laughs> – there's did he really does he really want to start from absolute ground zero again in a second time in yeah. three years and just skew the momentum that he built at Penn State to go to you know to go to Notre Dame which is you know they've had a lot more basketball success than Penn State obviously but it's not all that different from Penn State in terms of you know the hierarchy of of the sport there like mm-hmm. they had Mike Bray there they just let him do whatever. And, you know, and also, I just remembered this, the whole fiasco with their offensive coordinator. I was going to bring that up. That was like, that That did not go over well. So I don't think they were going to be, like, they weren't going to, money wasn't going to be a reason for him to say no. Yeah. And for, for those who uh, aren't as plugged into Notre Dame, coordinator searches Notre Dame had to replace its offense coordinator this offseason uh they're like top 
they, their top option was Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at uh, Utah. They couldn't pony up the money. The money was an issue in trying to get him. And then Coop, they like it was like their next two or three options. They couldn't get either, and they had to. Didn't they just uh, promote former Penn State assistant Gerard Parker to offensive coordinator or something? Yeah, yeah. So they were in a situation, and this is something we will talk about in a moment. Uh, where they got embarrassed and felt like they had to do something about it, which uh, I hope Pat Kraft understands that is what kind of the expectation is after you get embarrassed. But I the, just the last thing I want to do before we start looking forward and where Penn State goes from here is it's worth mentioning uh, Dave Jones at Penn Live sat down with, uh, not sat down, they spoke over the phone with uh, uh, Micah Shrewsbury and Micah, talked a lot about going home, about wanting to go home, about the importance of uh, the state of Indiana to him, the basketball culture in Indiana. There's this, uh, there's this saying that uh, the Hoosiers and the Boilermakers I know both use, uh, even though they are on different sides of the college basketball uh, world, which is in 49 other states, it's just basketball, but this is Indiana. Like I'm certainly not trying to say, and I'm, Coop isn't doing this either. We're certainly not sitting here and saying that the draw of being able to go back to Indiana, even if Shrews' footprint is considered to be more in like the Indianapolis or West Lafayette, that kind of thing, uh, than uh, Notre Dame. He actually, what is it like his dad, Coop, like knows Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD or something like that? Yeah, they, I'm pretty sure Shrewsbury's dad was in politics or, Something they they cross paths in some respect. I, yeah, I, I don't his, his his first head coaching job was at IU South Bend. Like, so I, I will walk that back. There is that draw of going home. Certainly not saying that, but at the same time, there are opportunity. Penn State lost him in that. You can just see that Micah Shrewsbury was laying this little trail of breadcrumbs throughout the basketball season with stuff like that interview where he talked about NIL with stuff like begging fans to come out with saying, I don't know where he's going to be coaching next year. He was doing all that throughout the year. There were alarms going off and there was the, there was Mike Bray getting pushed out. That was an alarm going off. There were all these alarms going off and Penn state in the face of that, could and should have acted with more urgency. There was a, a really good reaction pod uh, over at BWI after he left yesterday that I highly recommend uh, everybody listens to because Nate Bauer goes into some of those details. Nate actually just published a big thing too that I have to that we have to go read. But there were opportunities. Dave Jones on his Twitter account was asked what Penn State had to do to make him stay. Overpay by one and a half million a year. Have that five hundred thousand in NIL contributions sewn up months ago instead of at the last hour or instead of at the 11th hour. And then he mentioned that Pat Kraft makes a million dollars a year to do all this stuff. And Penn State just wasn't able to do it. So throw our hands in the air. We'll talk in a second about, um, about where Penn State could potentially go from here. Uh, Coop, if you will forgive me, I need to do a quick ad read. Uh, Home Field Apparel, college sports brand on the internet. They're based out of Indianapolis. Their owner actually texted me yesterday and apologized for Shrews leaving. If you want to know how. field chair right now underneath the city. Which one? Colorado. Colorado, go Buffs. Uh, big Deion Sanders fan, Sam Cooper. Uh, yeah, their owner texted me yesterday and said, sorry, if you want to know what everyone thinks Penn State, everyone else thinks Penn State fans should think about losing Micah Shrewsbury. Uh, their shirts are comfortable. They're unique. Uh, they take time to make you feel closer to the school that you went to, or they make you, uh, they pull you in with cool designs for schools that you don't have ties to, like Coop with uh like Coop with Colorado, like me with my pair of uh, St. Francis joggers that I bought last year because that is the best basketball program that I root for, apparently. Uh, if you want to get some gear, 15 pieces of apparel, if you are a new customer, you can pick up pieces of apparel in their Penn State collection. If you are a new customer, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. Again, new customers use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. Thank you very much to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. And Coop, let's dive into where Penn State goes from here. And to me, the big question facing Penn State right now 
is what is more important? Is it getting the right coach or getting the right infrastructure around them? Um, I don't think that's like, there are obviously things that kind of go hand in hand together, but what do you, do you think that it is more important that Penn state nails this coaching hire or gives that coach, whomever it is support. So they're not complaining about being 14th in the big 10 in NIL and nobody coming to games. I mean, they do go hand in hand. Like you can't have one without the other. If you really want to succeed at any, you know, sustainable level, like, uh, of course, of, like, of course they need to hire a, a, a capable coach, but like, I don't know, this is kind of a pivot point and there's been a few of these over the years with this program. Like, I mean, if, if this, if this, you know, incredibly well-regarded coach bouncing after two years doesn't kind of, you know, light a fire under your ass, then I don't know if it's ever going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, as this this stuff is trickling out over the last few days and even to now, that you know you hear, you know, they were going to double his salary, and from what I've heard, his salary was somewhere in the range, like right around two million annually, is what he was making at Penn State. So if they're going to double his salary. Obviously, we know two times two is four. They're going to he was going to be making upwards of four. I heard between four. Between four and five million was where, like the the what was offered to him to stay at Penn State was between four and five million. So I mean, agents have Twitter; they have the internet. You know, they can see that this might be you know this this level of compensation could, for the first time ever, be of market value or better at Penn State. So. Mm-hmm. You know, are they like Pat Kraft strikes me as a guy that's going to try to get a big name. A lot of athletic directors strike me as a guy they're going to try to, or a woman are going to try to get a big name. So I'm very like, you know, a lot of the first names that get floated out are, you know, a lot of mid-major head coaches, you know, even Adam Fisher, who's already on staff. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if they take some swings at some guys that we would all be surprised they'd even like be under consideration for if that's, you know, if you're starting in the $4 million range, like that's going to get some people's attention, especially like, you know, coaches at schools where, you know, they, they may be under some pressure. Like if you don't, you know, produce in this next season, whatever, you could be on the hot seat. If you're looking for an escape route or whatever the phrase is, Penn State could all of a sudden, you know, you get that Big Ten money. You saw what Shrewsbury just did in two years with the portal. In a couple of years, you can rebuild a roster and maybe yeah. compete again. Yeah. So you're in, the, you're, you're in the Big Ten. There's a draw to being in the Big Ten, too. So that's the optimistic view of it. The pessimistic view, and maybe, you know, in some respects, the more realistic view based on decades of Penn State basketball is, you know, they'll go in another direction, which – just based on you know what you hear about Pat Kraft and the new president of Penn State, whose name I'm not going to try to I don't, I'm going to butcher it. I apologies. I, I don't know how to say her name. Neil, Neely Bendapudi. Neely Bendapudi. Thank you. Based on what you hear about them, they're gonna they're gonna be aggressive. They're not gonna. I don't think. I could be wrong because like like I said, we have so much. You know, we're we're, we're some of the unfortunate few that have followed the ins and outs of this program for a long time. So there's a lot there's a lot of scar tissue from over the years of what this program has been and how this school mm-hmm. has traditionally treated men's basketball. But there's a new administration and so maybe there's a kernel of hope that you know they're going to go spend they're going to they're going to use this as a the wake up call that it should be, you know, this guy this, this guy leaving after 2 years that should be and and the circumstances with which he left with the NIL stuff and some of the other support and like, like all of that should, you know, and like, like, like the, the ability to like get don- donors and like just all of those things should be, it's all part of the equation that mm-hmm. can be used. Like I said, it can be a pivot point to move forward and like, you know, build a sustainable, I don't even like, like, 
I don't even say a winner because that's never even been like, what is a winner when you're Penn State basketball? You know, like the, the, I've a, win, a winner at Penn State basketball is consistent. It is a phrase that you have used over the years. Consistently you know, average. Average. Consistently average. Consistently competitive in the Big Ten. More often than not, in striking distance of the bubble, like maybe one out of every three years, you're you're a realistic tournament team. Three, yeah. One every three or four years, like, and in the in the portal era where you you know rosters can like when when Pat Chambers took over, like that was like that that took. Not, I mean, I don't have to. We don't have to go through all this shit, but like. <laughs> It, that was a that was a different time with respect to building a roster. Yes, like the the you had to sit out a year. There was the no, obviously grad even grad transfers weren't even really a thing then. Like that was still you couldn't transfer within a conference. This is a new era. You can get players who can and people. There, how many how many players you see in the in the portal who were at some mid major and they put up like fifteen points a game, shot like 38 from three. Who would want an opportunity to play in the Big Ten? You can find players. Andrew Funk, Andrew Funk did that. Cam Winter, like you can find players. And so I'm rambling here, but I don't think like as much as like from a Penn State basketball fan perspective, this sucks to lose Shrewsbury because he's a very i I won't accept any like he's a great coach. Like he is a great coach. Yeah. Were there some learning experiences over the last two years? Yes. But I have no doubt in my mind that this guy is a great coach. Like the, like the fact that they were where they were at the end of the season, like, like that was like, it was, it was surreal watching it. Mm-hmm. Like the only other time I can remember feeling just like it, it did like, like when in the, in the COVID year before the pandemic, when they won the that when they're on that eight game Big Ten winning streak, that's the only other time I can recall. Even back to like 2011 when the Taylor Battle team when they made the tournament, like that was a struggle. Like they were, like this was a, a like a month straight where you think they're like they they can win every game. Like when has that right. ever been reality? They they walk they walked into the gym every single night for a month, usually against better teams, and went, all right, cool, we're gonna beat you. And not in a way that like that. The other thing, it wasn't in a way that like Pat's teams, not with, with the exception of really that uh, that 2018 team. Uh, he out schemed yeah. people. It was like football. He outs. I right. I've made this comparison. I don't know if I made it to you guys, like Bill and other people that we chat with all the time. Like it reminded me of watching like Chip Kelly at Oregon. Like he doesn't have as good players, but. He's going to keep you on your toes that entire game. Like he's going to run the same shit over and over again. There's just going to be a slightly different variation of it. How many times did you have Jalen Pickett in the post and all of a sudden you see Andrew Funk run that little slip screen and then they, they crash to him. Kebajai cuts to the rim, uncontested dunk. How many little layers and things were there over the course of a season? Like they had so many, by the time it got to the end of the season, like they were, they were clicking at such a level Except, except for the Rutgers game, that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> the the but, number of wide open, the yes. the side of a good team is the other team knows you're going to try and do something. You do it anyway. The number of wide open threes that Miles Dread got in the corner when his job on offense was to set screens and stand in the corner, like you don't get that unless you are able to get like scheme that stuff and they Miles had, Dredd, yeah they had indiana they had illinois they had texas a&m they had those dudes in hell yeah try like do you remember that first indiana game where they hit like the 16 17 threes whatever it was yeah indiana had it's nothing for them go back and watch there's some youtube channels that'll post like 20 minute versions of these games go back and watch miller cop trying to chase andrew funk around those screens he has no idea what's going on yeah. They torched him for the entire game, and they they were beating teams that have. I would like he's taking mid like low and mid major transfers and a few holdovers from the last team and busting their ass. Imagine what he could have done over you know once he gets multiple recruiting classes in, plus the the other people the better the better people he would get in the transfer portal. That's why this is like you had to like. Like they had to see what they had. 
You you had okay. to make it so the pull of going home to Indiana. It, if you were taking Micah one hundred percent at his word, and I think that's like fifteen twenty percent of it. Yeah, but if you were taking him at his word, and it's the pull of Indiana, you had to make it so the money made it so he didn't care about that, and right. it wasn't it's that nil and the overall support. I think right. is the biggest thing more, and that's His salary, coaches' salaries, you know, like facilities, whatever. He, it, yeah. In and my I, my read of this is he did not think they could get players to the level that they need to compete at the highest level. Go back to the last summer and look at the the recruits they were the they were in the they were in the final pairing for or whatever. Yeah, top three, top five. That's Pense has. Ne- even the Tony Carl Lamar Stevens here, they have never commit recruited at that level. And this guy and his staff, after one year of being not very good, with very little proof of concept, they were that close to, like he said, he told you getting a top 15 class. And after this season they just had, and if they had that class, they would have kept doing that. I guarantee it. If they had the, the support that, that, he told he said it he said it on a public forum we're 14 out of 14 and nothing happened until it was pretty evident that like yeah this guy is going to look at other jobs that is yeah. crazy and the the other thing you have half half have to know that the guy is going to look at other jobs you have like i Especially guarantee Notre Dame that job yeah. has been open for months yeah, months. And when the, and this is why I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of credit, Coop. Before Shrewsbury got hired, you said to me, Penn State's never actually had to make a basketball hire, so let's not just immediately assume it's going to be a bad one. And the, you will end up being extremely right there. So I'm going to give you credit on that. And a point that you raised in our chat the other day is like, even that hire, even the circumstances of hiring Shrewsbury were weird. Penn State's basketball history is hiring Bruce Parkhill, hiring Bruce Parkhill assistants, uh, Ed leaving like however long before the season and them scrambling to hire Pat. It was two months after the yeah. tournament. Them scrambling to hire Pat because they needed to get somebody in and then having the search that came from Pat leaving uh, the pro- or no longer being with the program and having such a long so run up and an fired. AD yeah. that everyone knew was leaving and fired. they, and the, yeah, fired. So that, and a long yeah. search w- with an aid with a lame duck AD and they got Micah. This is the first time Penn state is going to have a real basketball coaching, like an actual proper basketball coaching search where it comes with the side of, uh, all the good stuff we said, but also there's a level of urgency that's ramped up now because of the portal, because of the public uh, nature by which Micah ended up leaving the team and mentioned and, you know, kind of deficiencies within the program bubbled up to the surface. So yeah, I, I, I it, the whole thing basically comes back to, do you think one they're being re- people are being real fast and loose throwing that four million dollar number around. I hope Penn State uses that. I hope that four million dollar number is ended up going to whoever the new coach is. One, Penn State has to prove it wants to spend that kind of money on a basketball coach who's an outsider who is brand new, and maybe they do, and I'm hopeful they do. But if we're sitting here in two weeks and they have a new coach coming in. And it turns out that I'm seriously asking you this. And it turns out that they're not paying that guy $4 million a year and they're paying him $2.8 million a year. I mean, would that stun you at this point? Here's what I know about college administrators. Yeah. They have egos. You don't think Pat Kraft after this is like with his coming back, putting out his little statement with his tail between his legs after his coach, goes to Notre Dame. You don't think he's a little like, oh shit, like he's going to try to come back over the top and make a splashy hire. There is I would be like, there's going to be like whether he can execute it is another, you know, is a whole other conversation, but I would be stunned if they didn't swing in some waters that we're a little, you know, unaccustomed to. Yeah. 
I, I, the thing that just and maybe, generally you off. maybe, and maybe Adam Fisher ends up being the guy that makes the most sense. Yeah. I don't think that's crazy, but he, he's not going to be the first, you know, name like they, they, he's not going to be at the top of the list. Yeah. He's a, he should. And I'd be, he, I, by the way, he's a candidate at Temple. I, I know that for pretty, pretty certain. He's going to get an interview and he should. I'm assuming Mike Farrelly will get one too. But if it's going to be anybody internally, it's, it's going to be Fisher. But I would be pretty shocked if that was who ended up getting the job. Maybe, he, I mean, I, he, he knows this program. He knows, I mean, he's, other than the, the experience factor of being a, a head coach, he checks a lot of boxes to do this job. Mm-hmm. But I would be pretty stunned if, like, you know, in within the next couple of days, I don't know. I don't know what the time frame will be because the Sweet yeah. Sixteen, but maybe early next week, some names start trickling out. Like, okay, this, you know, whoever has, and you've already seen it with the Rodney Terry report from the Austin paper. That's just an, that's just agent stuff. Like, mm-hmm. maybe maybe Penn State is in, interested, but like, you know, that's not going to come to fruition for however long. Yeah, but, it, it it is. Uh, it is worth mentioning uh, something our pal Chad has mentioned uh, is that, you know, fish has a, an, a built in advantage of kind of knowing what he's going up against. And he's had Jalen Pickett, Cam winter, miles dread, Andrew Funk, you know, maybe another guy or two, all of whom are no longer are, you know, just done. Like they have to move on to uh, being a professional basketball player, going pro in something other than sports. Uh, they've all taken to Twitter and said, give it to fish, keep him going. You know, maybe, maybe that ends up happening. And maybe as a result, all these freshmen, uh, current freshmen, the guys who were coming, well, one specific uh, legacy guy who was coming in. Cause I think I'd be really surprised if Braden Shrewsbury doesn't play for Notre Dame next year. And I'd be very surprised if the other guy in the class, Logan Imes, who is his best friend uh, also doesn't go to Notre Dame next year. Neither here nor there, but yeah, I fish is a guy who kind of has to get a ha, has to get a look and kind of a general rule with people who have money and have power is that if you run up on them and call them broke or you run up on them and say they're weak and bad at something like they you mentioned, the chair, they got the chair pulled out from under them. Yeah, you get embarrassed by that stuff. And that's where you kind of hope that that's where I think a level of optimism comes in. The level of optimism, if you want to have it, and I don't blame you if you don't, is if you are a Penn State, if you are a person with money who cares about the Penn State basketball program, and you could have played a role in preventing Micah Shrewsbury from going somewhere else, maybe you're embarrassed now. And maybe you decide you want to help out with uh, the NIL stuff that Micah was talking about. If you're Pat Kraft and... You know, you put out that statement and, you know, you maybe it did matter to Micah that maybe it mattered to Micah a lot that him and Neely were both at the wrestling uh, NCAA wrestling final when wrestling already locked up national title in a row number 10 or, or yeah, the 10th in program history, the like third or fourth in a row or whatever it was. Maybe that matters to Micah and maybe your perception right now is you might not be as hot of stuff as everyone thought you were when you were coming, when you first came in and you're sitting right at the side of the mat at a wrestling duel next to James Franklin and Micah Parsons. And you're being real pumped up because of how much you love Penn State. Maybe all that comes to fruition. And like you said, Coop, that leads to a guy. Yeah. Insert big name back. It would be really funny if they hired Mike Bray. Like now that I sit here and think that it'd be really funny if they hired Mike Bray now that he's taken a year, he plans on taking a year off and backed out of USF. That would be quite funny, but maybe they go, maybe they go for a big name, whether maybe they go for who knows, but you have a guy like Matt Norlander, uh, CBS sports, very plugged in on this stuff saying Penn state should target Matt Langle, uh, at Col- from Colgate, Dusty May from FAU and Mike Rhodes from VCU. I mean, I think you and I would agree any of them would be good options. Obviously, there's 
you know, Langle might not be interested because of some stuff that happened in the past from when uh, Kraft was at Temple and he pushed yeah, out for I'd, I'd be a little surprised if that. Yeah, people. people uh, yeah, but you look at those names and it's like, all right, those those are the kind of guys a school a school like Penn State should target. But would you agree with maybe those aren't the kind of guys a school if it has aspirations like Penn State is capable of having. Maybe they should shoot a little bit higher than that. Yeah, that that's. I mean, I mean, if, if people don't know, Langle is his mentor is Fran Dunphy, and when Kraft was the AD at Temple, he pushed out Fran Dunphy from that job. So mm-hmm. Langle was a longtime assistant at Penn under Dunphy, and then went to Temple with them. So I'd be, I mean, maybe maybe they could mend some fences if he wants to get a Big Ten job after being at Colgate for, you know. He's been there like a decade, if I'm not mistaken. He's, he's been there a very long time, yeah. And they've won a lot. But like, yeah, I mean, it's just repeating what I said, but it's, I I mean, like, after the way this went down, like, this is like a, this is, especially early in your athletic director tenure where, I mean, Sandy Barber wasn't the most popular person among Penn State fans and some of it was justified, especially for being so behind the times with the NIL stuff, especially at the end. But like for this to happen so early on your record, like that's a, that's a significant blemish when, especially when you came out and I don't, I don't, I don't recall who asked the question. I, maybe it was the Rose Bowl press conference. I don't, but he, he was available to the media and someone asked him like, are you confident you can retain Shrewsbury? And he was like, Oh yeah, of course. You know, he talked like an AD and, you know, fast well, forward he, four months later and dude's gone. Let, let, me, let me see if I can find the quote because he, uh, here we go. Uh, his quote, 100% yes. Micah absolutely is a rock star. He's a great tactician. He's a great recruiter. He's a great human being. I'm very fortunate he was here. And yes, we're unequivocally committed to having a successful basketball program. We've got to build it the right way. So it's not just the salary. It's where are you with infrastructure? It's giving teams what they need to be successful, making sure we can recruit whoever we need to recruit, making sure we're healthy with our training table and sports medicine. But make no bones about it. We are absolutely committed to keeping Micah. I can't say enough about what he's done in a short period of time, and I appreciate the hard work he puts into it. He's special now. You lost that guy because you didn't do your job good enough because all the stuff that you said in there ultimately – it wasn't able to overcome this belief that he wants to go home, which I'm like, I'm also a little bit, again, I'm not skeptical about it, but it's a little bit weird that we're going so all in or the weird, like the collective weird going so all in on, he just wants to go home when he was also an incredibly high up on the list candidate at Georgetown. And is let's, you know, let's be honest here is probably the head coach of Georgetown right now. If they couldn't get a guy with big East experience and a much longer track record than Ed Cooley. Like, let's just be honest about that. So, yeah, I mean, I hope it works. I hope he's able to get whatever. I hope he's able to finally do the thing he said he had to do. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, anyone needs to do it. Like, it shouldn't be on fans to donate to NIL collect. It shouldn't be on, like, us fans to donate on NIL collectives. It shouldn't be on, like us fans to send a message by nudge, nudge, wink, wink, voting in the board of trustees election and voting out Anthony Lebrano and Jay Paterno, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, everybody do that. It's on the athletic director. The athletic director has to get this right going forward. And, you know, hopefully he gives this the urgency that he didn't give that it didn't get in the three months after Micah said, Hey, we need more money for this program so we could recruit and do stuff. So there's all that. Coop, is there any other basketball stuff you would like to talk about I mean, before we end? And one of the things, he needs to signal to the the donor people like the the seriousness with which like 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 not to go back to the what we talked about. I mean, I guess to circle back to it, but like like the success with honor, like that's over. Like not not even like like you, the NIL collective that they align themselves with is named success with honor. And that says, that speaks volumes and they didn't do jack shit. So, I mean, if you don't, you know, once this new coach is like, 
obviously that takes, you know, that's the number one priority is to get the coach. But yeah. the coach is going to, you know, any coach that has any sort of relationship with Shrewsbury or the coach's agent who has a connection with Shrewsbury's agent, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, what happened? And they're going to say, oh, NIL was in, in, <laughs> wasn't in order. So if you don't get your shit together, like that's the other that's the other angle of it. I mean, you know, it's it's like I said, it's it's a pretty significant you know pivot point. Like you got to decide, like you know, do we want to do we want to try to win, or do we want to just you know keep you know having these yeah. like once every eight ten years, whatever we're you know, have a, a team worth of shit. Coop, any final basketball things you would like to talk? Would you, would you like to end it on a happy note? Is there a happy note to end this on? Uh, Florida Atlantic plus five and a half tonight. <laughs> Best bet. Best bet. I will. I will be making. Oh, I, have, I have. I have been on a cold streak, uh, the likes of which I, you know, it's embarrassing. Uh, so yeah. That wraps up this edition of Roar Lions Roar. Sam Cooper, the greatest to ever do it. Read all his stuff over at Yahoo Sports. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the pod. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Please keep reading this. Please, I, please keep listening to the pods, uh, following us on our Twitter account. And of course, uh, if you uh, want to go over to Homefield Apparel, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you very much for listening. For Sam Cooper, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.